Is that better? There we go. I'm here. And very happy to teach this morning. Uh, we just finished first service um, not too long ago, and uh, it was a great service. I, I'm thinking, reflecting back on the content, and uh, I'm really excited to teach. I realized, though, that during first service, I was much more somber than I wanted to be, and unfortunately, I've realized that is because I'm still hurting that my Cincinnati Bengals did not win their first <laughs> playoff game. So bear with me. If you do not know what it's like to be a Cincinnati fan, let me illustrate quickly. It's like a young man meets the woman of his dreams. She's beautiful, she's perfect, and she says to him, I want to marry you. I want to have a life together with you. I'm yours. And he says, really? For real? She says, yes. Let's toast to our forever love. Drink this poison. That's what it's like. That's what I feel like. <laughs> but I'll move past it. I'll pretend I don't completely hurt inside, and we'll move forward. So uh, this morning, what I want to do is, is move forward from uh, where we ended last Sunday. Mark uh, introduced our series, Mosaic, okay? Now, what is the concept? What, what are we talking about? What's the idea behind this? It's basically this, that... In God's plan, his greater picture, there is a mosaic. And within that mosaic, it's made up of pieces that contribute to the beautiful picture. And we have to take time to identify um, those pieces and those pictures and how it all works. And so last Sunday, uh, Mark talked about uh, this, this little piece, this tile. And he explained that as Christ followers, we are this tile. We're a piece of the, of the big picture, and we are trying to identify where we fit. And that's great. Maybe you walked away last week, and you're like, ooh, yay, tile, I'm good. But the tension that we're left with uh, from last Sunday is, if I'm a piece to the picture, what is the picture? What is that? And so this morning, what we're going to do is, is back up and take a bird's eye view of what is this mosaic? What is the thing that God is doing and the thing that we're trying to help contribute and, and fulfill our role in it? Um, and I'm excited to do that. In, in a word, uh, to quickly summarize, I would say um, that God's picture is, is something like a puzzle, okay? Uh, when I was younger, I went through a phase where I loved puzzles, okay? Uh, I was not the cool kid when I was younger, not at all, not by a long shot. Um, some people chose like friendships and popularity. I chose puzzles and uh, spending time by myself. <laughs> Luckily, I could fall back on my uh, lightsaber choreography to ensure <laughs> I would never have a date before 18. So <laughs> it all worked out for me in the end. But uh, I loved puzzles, and, and the reason is this is a challenge. It's a challenge to put a puzzle together, and I enjoyed that. I liked uh, moving the pieces and then working really hard, and at the end, seeing the product, the final piece, uh, what it all made. And as, you, as you're into puzzles, if you are, uh, then, then you want to advance, right? You want to get better. It starts with uh, bigger pieces, fewer pieces, easier pictures, and then you progressively increase to more pieces, uh, bigger pictures, more elaborate, complicated. Um, and, and so that goes from 25 to 100 to 500 to 1,000 and up. And so when I got to this advanced level of putting together 1,000 
piece puzzles. Um, I loved it. I got excited about it, and I, and I enjoyed the challenge. However, what I realized through that experience, through this passion, is um, if you're going to be successful in putting a puzzle together, you, you kind of need the picture. You need, if when you, the, it's right there on the box, and that's your, uh, that's, um, your map. That's, that's what guides you. It allows you to know where the pieces go, because without that, you're, you're left looking at the pieces, wondering like, okay, how does this fit in? I don't understand. That's a weird design. And we spend a lot of time just trying to put it together. And without that full picture, without understanding what that is, it's nearly impossible. And if not impossible, it's, it takes way more time than is necessary. That full picture is so important. So this morning, what is that picture? What is the mosaic that God desires. And I believe that that mosaic, that grand picture, the thing that God is most interested in doing is the kingdom. Now that might sound overly obvious and that's okay because we're going to go in depth with that this morning. The kingdom. The kingdom is God's plan to restore creation by uniting heaven and earth. That's what he wants to do. That is the picture, the kingdom, okay? Now, before we actually elaborate on that this morning, before we actually go in-depth, the first question we have to ask is why. Why do we need the kingdom? Why should we partner with God and be a part of it? What's the big deal? So what? Um, and the answer to that, I think, is simple, is that when we look at the world, to some degree, maybe, maybe some greater than others, uh, but to some degree, we say that this isn't how it should Where we lie in this tension of asking, like, is this it? Is this the world? Is this life? Is this, can it not get better than this? When we, see, um, when we see pain and hurting and experience those things, mistrust, greed, corruption, poverty, slavery, exploitation. I mean, there are so many, there's so many dark corners of the world that force us to ask the question, whether you believe or not, can it not get better? So this morning, if we, can it not, if we cannot at least agree on that point, that, that when we look at the world, we, we have to wonder, can it get better? Then the conversation ends right here. There is no point for the kingdom. If this is as good as you want it to be, then, then that's it. However, if you, have, if you can reflect on times, on moments, on experiences where, where you're just like, ah, oh, there's got to be something more, there's got to be something better, and I believe in the hope that, that makes that possible, that is where our journey to the kingdom begins. Are you with me? Can we do that this morning? Yes? Okay, here we go. So in order to identify um, the movement and the flow of the kingdom, we also have to kind of take a look at uh, the greatest threat to the kingdom, what it is that's keeping God's picture from being complete. The task this morning is to summarize the Bible, all of it. This morning, that's what I'm going to do, or at least try to. From Genesis to Revelation, uh, give me 20 minutes and we're good, okay? So 
we talk through um, this idea of Scripture being uh, uh, a guide that illustrates our way to the kingdom. Well, that guide starts off with a story in the book of Genesis um, about God's creation, his desire, things are good, all is well. And then all of a sudden, it's not so good and not so well because sin enters the picture. And that illustration of sin is two people um, confronted with a decision to rebel against God. In the face of temptation, a serpent says, take this and eat, and when you do, you will be like God. Well, that temptation to rebel is not just the story of Adam and Eve, the story of the creation narrative. That is the story of us. We are all the time confronted with this temptation. Take and eat this. Build your own life, your own kingdom. Then you will be like God. That sounds great in those moments. And that's what's so appealing about it. But when that happens, then all of a sudden this kingdom that God wants to build goes a different direction. And things aren't so good, and that's when the corruption and the brokenness and the murder and all that stuff infiltrates our world. That's really depressing. Sorry to bring you down. However, it, it doesn't end there, right? In fact, it's just beginning because God looks at this and his perspective says, okay, we can, we can fix this. I can fix this. We got this. Let's build up a new kingdom. Let's restore things. Yes, it, it was good in the garden and then all of a sudden my creation wanted to, to build a new kingdom east of Eden. Let's, okay, now we're traveling, we're wandering. Let's build a new kingdom outside of the one that I had originally created. And so, what he does, he goes to a man named Abram, who later becomes Abraham. And he says this, Abraham. Probably said Abram at the time, but I'm just going to say Abraham because it makes it easier. Abraham, I've got a plan. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great people, and, and other people will be blessed through you. It's going to be great. And, and I want to establish this kingdom. I want to partner with you. Let's do this together. This is, this is the method through which God will restore his creation to reignite the kingdom on earth. Partnership with humans, okay? So Abraham is like, yeah, sweet, sounds pretty good. So they kind of do that. And unfortunately, Abraham is faced with the same temptation to rebel against God. And he does that, and his son does that, and his, and his grandson does that. And we see this trail of events kind of happening where, yeah, it's a community, and yeah, there's a people here, but they're not quite getting it. There's moments of victory. There's moments of obedience, and things are good. And then, like, the next day, they completely decide to do something else, and then it's not so good. So how is this kingdom really going to be built up and restored? Well, that takes us into the book of 1 Samuel. So if you have your Bibles, go there now. 1 Samuel, uh, I think chapter 8, I believe. You're going to see it on the screen behind me as well. Um, but when we come to 1 Samuel, what we see is a community of people that has been built up from that promise of Abraham, and they are trying to do this thing, the kingdom. They're trying to be obedient to God. They have some moments of victory. They have some moments of defeat. Um, and during this time, things are kind of good, kind of good. But then we're, we're, we stumble upon this scene in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 5 through 9. The people come to Samuel. They say, look, you are now old, which is a great way to start a conversation with someone. <laughs> and your sons are not like you. Give us a king 
to judge us like all the other nations have. Now, this is important because we already see from this passage the priority of the people is not to align with God, it's to align with the other kingdoms, okay? But it goes on and says this. Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. The words of God. The passage continues. Ever since I brought them out of Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. With their decisions, they take fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They want to be like me, God. And they rebel. And now they're giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will rule over them. So Samuel gets this message from God, and he goes to the people, and he says, look, if I give you a king, it's not going to be good. Here's why. This king is going to take, seize your sons and make them laborers. He's going to seize your daughters and make them servants. He's going to take your land and your crops. It's not the plan. That's not how it should be. This is not a good idea. Take this warning. And after Samuel gives them that warning, this is how they respond. But the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, we still want a king, they said. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. So Samuel repeated to the Lord what the people had said, and the Lord replied with this, do as they say, give them a king. Then Samuel agreed and sent the people home, okay? Two points from this passage. Number one, we see the identity of the people shift from being a community that blesses others and all the nations to a community that now wants to conquer them through battle. And the second point is this. God does not align with this idea. He says, don't do this, and yet he permits it. Why would he do that? Why would God do that? God knows what's good and bad. Why would he allow this to happen? It's a tension we have in our faith all the time, I think. And the answer is this, is that through the gift of our free will, we can and we do rebel. Now, this is another like gloomy point in the message. It's like, oh, bummer. <laughs> what do I do with that? Thanks, Matt. Like, you know, see, I'm terrible. No, do not feel that way because the main point of this is that even though the people rebel and even though they go against God's will, he still is faithful. He still finds a way to redeem, okay? So what happens after this is the people get a king, King Saul, and he does some really good things and he does some really bad things, and it's not good, and the warning takes shape that he was giving them before. Now, it's time for a new king, King David. does some really, really good things, and he does some bad things too. And then God does what? He renews his promise to the people. Even through their rebellion, he renews 
his promise. And he says, despite the fact that you're doing this a different way, you're kind of building my kingdom your own way, which isn't my kingdom, I'm still going to work through this. In fact, he says to them, through this line, through the line of David, I will, you, your, his kingdom will never cease to rule. I will put an heir on the throne that is everlasting through the disobedience, through the rebellion, God is like, still going on course. We're still doing the plan. We're still going to build a kingdom here, okay? So what happens after this? Well, after David and there's Solomon, again, some good things, some bad things. Basically, from Solomon on, the kings are almost exclusively known for the bad things. Like, these kings are terrible. Let's get them out of here. Um, so much so that eventually this people, this community who's run by these bad kings are forced into exile. They're now displaced. So now they're run by bad kings and they don't even have a home, okay? So morale is a little bit down. But the words of the prophets now come in and God says, hey, guess what? Yeah, we're not there yet. There's still some problems, but, but, but take hope. I am sending someone. I will give you encouragement. So the people are like, okay, this kingdom thing, it's still happening. Now what? Now what? What do we do? We just kind of wait. Wait, God, like, are you watching this? Are you seeing this? When's that whole kingdom thing happening? And all the while, he's working through his prophets and through his people to continuously restore his creation through, through uniting heaven and earth by bringing his kingdom. We finally see that come to uh, realization when Jesus enters the picture. So all of a sudden, so now we're in the New Testament, okay? Give yourselves a round of applause. You got through the Old Testament. Yes. Way to go. You guys are good Christians. Okay. New Testament. Jesus. We see in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, after the baptism of Jesus, he says this, the time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. The time has come. You've been waiting. It's here. We've arrived. Let's do this now. Let's build this kingdom. Now, that's exciting, but it also is a call to action, okay? Because with the presence of Jesus, now the kingdom is, is near, it says. Uh, throughout the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, um, the authors use terms for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. They're both basically talking about the same thing, God's plan for us, okay? So with this is a call, is, is, is a call on our lives. The first step in establishing this kingdom is to repent, Repent of your sins and believe the good news, okay? Well, what is repentance? It's a turning away from that rebellion. It's a turning away from, from wanting to seize control, have the power, the authority to determine what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is evil, all that stuff. It's turning away from that and turning back towards God. That's why even within the fabric, the DNA of this church, that is one of our pillars. We want to turn hearts and minds toward God. Why? Because that's the first step in bringing in his kingdom. That's why we do that. That's why we gather here on a Sunday, and that's what we work toward, to establish God's kingdom through turning away from, the, from our authority, from our lives as we want them, from our own kingdoms that we build up so that we can allow God to do that and be here. Okay? So, Jesus... It's not quite easy in his ministry. He's opposed by the religious leaders. Um, and we're going to get to that in just a second. But what he does with his disciples is he teaches them um, in this passage how to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, 
um, he's explaining to the disciples, he says, um, pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, one of the problems we can have in, in Christian faith is that, is that we kind of cling to this belief that if we just have the right doctrine, if we believe the right things, we are nice to the right people and mean to the right people, and uh, we just do it the way that we think it's supposed to be done, then we die and we get to go somewhere better. That's later on in life, but for now we just make do. Um, that is not the kingdom Jesus is talking about at all. In fact, this idea, although we, we do see in Scripture he talks about an eternal life in paradise with him, this passage explicitly is talking about our call, our role here on earth right now, starting today. That's what it's about. Bring your kingdom here. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For Jesus, the kingdom is not static. It's dynamic. It's moving. It's flowing. There's a current. And he says, will you jump in? Will you help out? Will you partner? Will you be a part of this with me? Well, of course, people did. They were like, yeah, let's do that. This guy, like, turned water into wine. Let's follow this guy. So he has a bunch of followers. And people are excited about his teachings and the things that he's doing. And they've never heard anything like he's said. They've never seen anything like he's done. Um, and then later on through um, the gospel, we see the story of Jesus is that he was um, condemned to death on a cross. But that wasn't it. He then was buried and was resurrected. So in the first century, right after this, after he ascends to heaven, we, we now see the birth of the church in the first century, okay? So now that we're there, we have a community of people who are following Jesus, trying to do that thing he was talking about, bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, let's do this, let's partner, it's exciting. However, they are faced with a great challenge because the Roman Empire is not happy about this. If you're a kingdom, what do you want? Power. You want authority. You want control, which means that any other kingdom that's to be established is in opposition to you. It's a threat, and it must be destroyed. That is the exact temperament position that the early Roman Empire had. They said, let's kill these Christians. Let's get rid of them. They're a threat to us, to our authority, done. Let's just, let's just end this thing now. So the Christians at this time are like, yeah, we want to follow Jesus. I'd rather not die though. And it's really, really difficult. And so there's excitement, but there's also significant discouragement. People are like, oh, is it, is it worth it? Like, should we keep doing this even though we're losing our lives, even though we're being tortured, even though we're, we're being humiliated in front of our community? I mean, is it worth it? It's like being a Cincinnati Bengals fan. I'm telling you, that's what it feels like. And that's the question of the people. Should we keep going, okay? So now we're moving into Revelation. Don't worry, we skipped a bunch in the middle. But now we're on Revelation, okay? Revelation chapter five. Um, for those of you that have, e have either like read Revelation or you try to read Revelation, you're like, uh, I don't know what that's all about. And you just close it and move on. One thing that's important to understand, we teach our students this all the time, context is key, okay? Say that with me. Context is key. Yes, thank you. You're so smart. Context is key. And the reason why is that this is a real text 
being written to a real group of people in a real context. And that context is an early first century church being persecuted, wondering if they should give up, if they should quit. So what we find in Revelation, its genre is apocalyptic. It's foretelling a future, but it's also building an image of hope, right? So it uses all kinds of metaphors and illustrations to help the people understand what's worth truly following. And one of those visions from John is this. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? And then it says this, but no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, was able to open the scroll and read it. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. I believe that this verse captures the tension of these early Christians who are suffering, who are wondering, is this it? Is this life? Is this... God's kingdom, is this how it works? Is it not gonna get better? Should we maybe divert our loyalties from Jesus back to the Roman Empire? Should we follow Caesar? At least then we wouldn't die. But the response is this. In verse five, but one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. This verse is an instruction to the church, church being persecuted, that if you divert your loyalties, you are following a king and a kingdom that is not worthy. There is only one that is worthy, and it's found in Jesus, who, if you notice, is connected again to the line of David. We track all the way back to people rebellious, give us a king, that's not the plan, I will redeem it. And through this redemption, I will remind you, it is through this line I have honored my promise to you that I will restore, that I will redeem, and that my kingdom is the only kingdom worthy. The only kingdom worthy. One of the things we can often miss in this passage, um, especially since there's a significant disconnect between our culture and the culture with which this was written, is um, the symbolic nature of it and the, and the imagery. If you notice, um, in this line, it compares Jesus to a lion. It says, the lion of Judah. Um, well, what does a lion signify? Victory honor, right? Just righteousness, the kingdom. The lion is the king, and we all know this. And the ancient culture knew this as well. From that point on, the rest of, of Revelation refers to Jesus as the lamb that was slain, which is important because of this. Through this idea of victory, which is clearly established with honoring Jesus as the only one worthy, the way it describes him and identifies him is a self 
sacrificing lamb, which is complete opposition to the idea of how you come to victory, how, how a kingdom establishes itself. Jesus is saying the way that we win, the way that we, that we establish God's kingdom is through laying down our lives for those around us. He teaches his disciples that they will know that you are my disciples because of your love, because you will model me, because you will, you will be a part of this, this movement, this current that I'm doing in the world. And it doesn't operate like the other kingdoms. It doesn't function that way. It's different. It's completely different. It's in, it's in absolute contradiction, opposition to the way the, the rest of the world is run. Because it's not about seizing power and control and implementing our will over people. It's about laying down our lives. Just as the self-sacrificing lamb has done for us to seize the victory. This is good news. However, it's not easy. That's the challenge that we face today. Because if we're going to partner with God, if, if you're like, yeah, that sounds good, but then what do I do? How do I be a builder in the kingdom? Right? I want my tile to, to fit in that mosaic, but what's the step? What, how, do I, how do I do this? What, is it, what does it involve? And I think that my, my final thought is this. It's about a choice. In fact, I, well, I would say when I was a Christian, uh, when I became a Christian rather, so I'm a Christian now, don't worry. Um, <laughs> when I became a Christian, um, I was confronted with a choice to follow Jesus, and I did, and it, and it changed my life. But my life wasn't completely steered and di directed just because one day, however many years ago, I made that one choice. It's about a series of choices. It's about a choice. It's about the choices you make every day about everything, how you interact with people, um, the choices that you make. Uh, in fact, if we want to really partner with God in the kingdom, we have to become very aware that everything that we decide, every choice we make, and the actions um, that, that follow it have a, have a consequence, good or bad, in building up the kingdom. So that means we now have to suddenly filter like the things that we buy, um, the way that we interact with other people, uh, the things that we click on on the internet the things that we do to spend our time and our money. All of these things we filter through this question. Is this building up God's kingdom or am I building my own? And that is the question we have to ask with every single decision we make. Am I building up God's kingdom or am I building my own? Because I'll tell you right now, God can redeem, right? He's demonstrated that through a long history of moving through his people but that is done his way. And it is done by saying, okay, you have power, you have authority, you alone are worthy. I'm gonna put aside my agenda, my ideas, my authority, and turn back to you, that I may, may, that I may partner in uniting heaven and earth. And that is an exciting, exciting step that we can take. In just a second, we're gonna continue um, to conclude our time with a song of worship, just to reflect. And as we do that, um, my, my question to you is this. What does it take for you to be a part of the kingdom? Because as we, as we move forward and as we get excited about what Jesus is doing, um, the question becomes, how can we play a role in that? 
Don't, don't sit on the sidelines. Don't just watch passively. Get in the game. Get involved. Jump in because your peace contributes significantly to making that mosaic, to making the kingdom become a reality. And it starts with you and the people in your lives and in your circles. Right now, you might be feeling like, oh, the kingdom, like, we're going to restore the world. I, how can I do that? That's really like, that's a big task. Like maybe we start like a little bit smaller. And that's exactly right. You start with your context. You start with the people in your lives, the decisions that you make. And you allow God to work through that and build out the kingdom larger and larger until we see his plan realized. Let's pray. God, this morning we thank you for your word and your restoration your design through building up the kingdom and partnering with us. God, we want to partner. Sometimes we build our own kingdom, and that's not partnering. Sometimes we want to do our own thing. We make our own decisions. Unfortunately, sometimes we make decisions that destroys your kingdom because it creates hurt and brokenness and isolation. But God, we know through the story of your word, you can redeem. You do it over and over and over again. So redeem us that we may partner with you and build the kingdom. Bring it here now to earth. Walk alongside us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Matt, thank you so much. Thank you, Matt, for, for that.